For those of you that haven't got the chance to meet yet, my name is Derek. I'm the pastor here at Chi Alpha. I would love the chance to meet you after service, or possibly I can meet you on the dance floor at the classy Christmas party, where I'll be wearing a bow tie, I hope, if I can find one. I kind of would like one that's gold, but we'll see if I can find one on Amazon after we're done. Since we are past Thanksgiving now, I feel like I can finally start sharing some Christmas stories from my past. I'm a firm believer that you don't start celebrating Christmas until after Thanksgiving. We don't put up decorations until after Thanksgiving, even though my wife, Taylor, does not like that rule. But that's just what I think is correct. So I want to give you a little background before I jump into this story. Growing up, I was a little bit spoiled, just to be honest. I'm the youngest of five children, and I got most of the things that I wanted. I'm sorry, older kids in the room that are judging me silently or out loud right now, or maybe some bitterness you're feeling, like he's a baby of the family, they're the worst. My younger sibling got everything, I know, you don't like me, okay? Show some grace for the babies of the family, okay? We have our own psychological issues that come from being the youngest, okay? We think we get everything we want. Anyways, fast forward to my birth to when I was 17 years old, Christmas is coming up, and there are two things on my Christmas list that were pretty expensive, the Xbox One had just been released, which is a gaming system, and that's a decent chunk of change, and I really wanted one. But I also really wanted a new bass guitar because I played on the worship team in our school jazz band, and I was going to study bass when I went to college, so I really wanted a new bass guitar. I told my parents, if I have to choose between these two expensive gifts, I would slightly rather have the bass, but I would love to get both of them, right? That would be incredible. To which my mother said, no, Derek, we cannot afford both those things, which is very understandable, specifically because they have five kids. They can't spend that much on one. However, two problems occurred. First of all, my dad is a deeply rooted, chronic people pleaser. And he did not ever want me to be sad, specifically as the baby of the family. So rather than telling me, son, we can't afford both, my dad's quite an optimist. He's like, you never know what will happen. Maybe you'll get both. See, he gave me hope in the middle of a hopeless place, which was a very, very bad idea. Second of all, I didn't do a great job of waiting that Christmas season. I was never very patient, and my parents were certainly not very sneaky. They would literally leave all the gifts just out in the open in the bags in the middle of their bedroom. or their. Sometimes they'd move it to their closet, which is, ha-ha, we're sneaky. No, it's one more step to the left, and I see them. So one time my parents were gone, and I just kind of meandered my way back to their room. I opened up the door, and I see all my gifts and family's gifts. And like, I don't want to be too crazy and go rummaging, but like, I could kind of sneak around a little bit. So I just kind of move a couple things, and I see something that I'm convinced is the box for the Xbox One. I ran out because I figured out what I needed to figure out. I knew my parents, and my parents, again, liked to please me, so they would never give me just my second choice because I said I'd rather have the base. So I was getting both. Praise Jesus. Thank you for your birth. Materialistic 17-year-old Derek is getting his wish. God, you're so good. That Christmas morning, I wake up really early at like 5 a.m. like I did every single year because I was so excited. I go upstairs, and I look around, and I find the box. I'm like, that's my Xbox. I found that one. Then I look around for the base. I'm like, hmm, none of these boxes look big enough for that, but I don't know, maybe it folds or something crazy. We'll see what happens. I'm also someone who really believes in delayed gratification, so I wanted to save that Xbox box for last because I knew that was going to be a really good gift. So I want to end on a high note. I don't know if any of you guys are like that. I always fight my siblings about being the last one to open gifts. I'm a weird person. Let's keep going. See, my mom is sitting there as I'm waiting and not opening that specific gift, and she's really curious. She's like, Derek, you should probably open that one next. I know you want to end on a high note. That one's not great. And I'm like, oh, Mom, I know what you're doing. You're trying to get me tricked. So then I open it up, and I'm excited because I didn't save it for last. You're trying to sneak me into opening it up earlier. Ha, I'm not giving in to that, Mother. So I open up all my gifts, and there's no base, 
which is a little strange, but I'm like, at least I'm still getting one of those two expensive gifts that I wanted because I still have that Xbox that I swear I saw. And I think deep down, like, I wanted the Xbox more, I think. I think that was my first choice, actually, so I'm fine. And I open up the last gift, ready to be enamored with my new Xbox, and out comes a sweater. <laughs> I was pretty sad, and I don't hide my emotions very well, so my parents knew that something's up, and I'm just sitting there probably pouting. My parents wait about five minutes, and my dad sneaks back to his room, and he comes out with a brand new bass guitar for me. Oh, that's so sweet. My dad is so nice, and they were so excited for me, and I was excited, hear me, but I'd kind of gotten my hopes up for the Xbox as well. I tried to, I was sure I was going to get it because I tried to kind of sneak around the process and make things go my way. And by circumventing the process of waiting for my Christmas gifts, I got my hopes up and then I was disappointed. And then to make this even worse, all my older siblings were married at the time. They're still married, like they didn't stop being married, but now I'm married too. Anyways, my older siblings all leave to go to their in-laws' houses to celebrate Christmas. And I sit with my parents as a 17-year-old and we go to the only open restaurant in town, which is this terrible pizza place that had weird velvet booths. And I sit alone with my parents on Christmas, surrounded by velvet and bad pizza, sulking because I did not get my Xbox. See, I didn't wait very well in that season. And the outcome of me not waiting well was I was really disappointed. And I didn't appreciate the good gift my parents gave me because my poor waiting skills got in the way. If I just would have waited, if I wouldn't have snuck around... I would not have expected to get an Xbox, so I would have been perfectly content with just the base. I'm like, that's awesome. That's an amazing gift. But since I got my hopes up and didn't wait well, I was devastated. Side note, that's the base right there. It's the one Aaron plays every week. That's my baby over there. So if you give it a kiss later, Aaron will be mad at you. Anyways, don't do that. <laughs> Many of us are in a season where we're waiting for something. Maybe you're really waiting to graduate. You just cannot wait to be done with school. You're like, I'm so sick of tests. I hear that. <laughs> our super seniors clap anyways maybe you're just waiting to not live in the dorms anymore you're like i'm sick of having to shower with everyone watching me this is really weird maybe you just want to get away from either your dorm or maybe it's your roommate that you're really sick of and you're excited to get away from him or her maybe you're just here and you're waiting to find your future spouse like you just feel like you've been waiting forever and you will not find mr or mrs right we also all just left a season of waiting called COVID. We were waiting for COVID to subside so we could go back in society. I know there's moments for me where I never thought we were going to make it through, where it felt like we're in this forever. Luckily, it's gotten better, but still, there are times when it feels like it's going to keep going for a long time. Or maybe you just cannot wait for this semester to get over with, to get through a specific class. you got two weeks, my friends. You're almost done. Or possibly you feel like you've been waiting forever to get over a sin issue. There's some area in your life that you just can't seem to fix. Maybe it's a deep anger or pride or a lack of trust or an issue with pornography or partying or deceit. There's some habit that you just can't seem to kick. Or maybe you've been in a season where you just can't wait for your mental health to finally get better. You constantly feel anxious, depressed, and you just want it all. Please, God, help it go away. As college students, many of you are probably struggling with the idea of just waiting for your real life to start. Waiting to get out of school to start your dream job or any job that pays more than $3 an hour, such as Biscotti's. You want to get married. You want to have kids. And you just want to get through this season of life. While you're in the middle of college, it can seem like it just takes forever. You're always stressed. You're always busy. And you just want out of this season. My seniors say amen. We've been working our way through the Christmas story and the different seasons of life that the different characters in the Christmas story have been in. A running theme through all these characters' case studies is that they were all in a season of needing to trust God. 
Jesus needed to trust God that coming as a humble baby was the way for salvation to be available to the whole world, that his death would save mankind. Mary needed to trust God that she could be the mother of the Messiah, that everything was going to work out. Joseph needed to trust God that his wife didn't cheat on him and that she was telling the truth. He needed to trust God that God's plan for Joseph's life was better than Joseph's plan for Joseph's life. This theme of trust will continue tonight. Another theme that's relevant with these characters is this theme of waiting. See, all these people, Mary, Joseph, our characters we're going to talk about tonight, and even other characters we won't get to touch on in this series, such as the wise men or the shepherds or John the Baptist and his family, all these people were waiting for one thing. See, all these people in the Christmas story, they were all Jewish, meaning they followed our God, and specifically, they followed the teachings of the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, all it really is is a giant lamppost or a sign towards a coming Messiah, a coming Savior, a coming priest king that was going to set their world right. The Jewish people had been conquered many times, first by the Babylonians, and then in Jesus' time, they were oppressed by the Roman Empire. These Jewish people had just been in a season of waiting for hundreds of years. They were waiting for what the prophets Isaiah, Jeremiah, Zechariah, and many others had promised them. They were waiting for their Messiah to come and set the world right. That's the backdrop of our story that we're going to talk about in Luke chapter 2 tonight. In Luke 2, we find baby Jesus being taken to the temple to be dedicated to the Lord as was custom in the Jewish world. And when he gets there, he meets two people who have been waiting their whole lives for this moment. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 38, and it'll also be on the screen. When the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, this is as in Mary and Joseph, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there's a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to the people of Israel." And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that for many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. Coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak to him all of who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we thank you that you came as a humble baby for us, God. I pray that you just speak through this word tonight, God. We love you so much. Amen. Amen. Our main idea tonight is this. We must wait expectantly. We must wait expectantly. In our story, we have two main characters, Simeon and Anna. Both of them have been waiting for quite some time to meet Jesus. Both trusted God and his promises that they would get to meet the Messiah. Both had faith in God. They believed the truths that God had told them, and they trusted in his timing above their own. We'll start with looking at Simeon and how he waited expectantly. Verse 25 tells us this about Simeon. Now there's a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. This man, Simeon, had been waiting and was righteous 
and devout. See, Simeon heard a promise from the Holy Spirit. He heard that he would meet the Messiah, that God had given him a promise, and then he told him, wait. He said, you're not going to see death until you see this Messiah. The Lord gave Simeon an expectation to wait for, a promise to hold on to in this season of waiting, and Simeon waited with righteousness. Righteousness is just doing the things that Jesus commands us to do and avoiding the sins that will put us off track. It's living the way God has called us to live. This, the reason he waited with righteousness is because during the season of waiting, he trusted God. There are probably times during the season of his life of when he's waiting for a long time that he began to doubt the promises of God. He began to doubt that God was actually going to come through. See, in seasons of waiting, it can be tempting for us to doubt God's goodness. It can be easy to doubt that God cares about us and knows what's best for our lives. And when these thoughts come, we will begin to give in to sin because we don't trust that God knows best. And if God doesn't know best, maybe I know what's best for my life. And so we kind of do whatever we want. And that leads to unrighteousness because we're not always the smartest people. When we are seasons of extended waiting, like every college student is, we will most likely face some doubts of God's goodness. And in those seasons, we must rely on the truth of the Bible in our community that God is in control, that God knows what's best. And we must choose to trust God even when our circumstances aren't necessarily conducive to trusting him. Trusting God, even when it doesn't make sense, is a sign that we are waiting expectantly because even though we can't see it in the moment, we still expect God to come through with his promises because we trust that God is good. If we trust God's goodness, we will live righteously in our seasons of waiting. See, in seasons of waiting, the enemy or the devil will attack you with lies. He will tell you things like, God has not brought your future spouse yet, so he probably never will. So who cares if you sleep around? Who cares if you go back to your sin addiction to pornography? You're never going to find a spouse anyways. Or maybe the enemy will tell you, God hasn't healed you of your mental health yet, right? So he probably never will. So who cares if you give into it more? If you start to feed your anxious and depressive thoughts with negative surroundings and you stop looking to the truth of God and the Bible and who God made you to be, that you are a son or daughter in the kingdom of God, instead you start looking to the world's opinion of you, what the world is telling you is true about you. Or maybe the enemy tells you that God hasn't brought you a lot of friends, that it feels like for, you've been waiting forever to find a community and you're lonely. So the enemy might say, why not go out and get drunk? Why not go out and have fun? Because you'll get approval from those people, I promise you. No one ever feels alone when they're at Sharky's. Or maybe the enemy's going to tell you that God's left you, that you don't feel him right now. When you read your Bible, you don't feel it. You don't feel it when you're praying. You don't feel it during worship. So God's gone. So why do you keep trying? What's the point if God's gone? See, all these things are lies. They are lies from the enemy to try to use your season of waiting to get you to not live righteously. When Taylor and I were engaged, we were in a season of waiting. Being engaged is all waiting, waiting for lots of things, and it's not always the most fun season of life. We were waiting to get married, to start our lives together. And I wish I could tell you, I so badly wish I could tell you that Taylor and I waited righteously. But we didn't. We crossed sexual boundaries and we did things that I deeply regret. See, we tried to circumvent God's timing. We tried to act like we were married before we were because we didn't have any patience and we didn't trust God. See, God's design for any sexual relationship is for it to happen in the covenant of marriage. That's his wisdom. That's what he says is best. But I didn't really like his wisdom and I didn't like his timing. So I want to do what I wanted. So even though our wedding night was our first night of having sex, we crossed other boundaries before that, and that made our wedding night 
not as special as it probably could have been. Because we didn't wait in righteousness, we tried to do things the way we wanted, and in our timing, we didn't receive all that God had planned for us. Hear me, waiting can be very, very hard. Waiting while continuing to live a righteous life is even harder. That's why we must look to the example of Simeon when we are in seasons of waiting. We must trust that God is still good, even though we don't necessarily feel it in the moment. And trust God enough to keep being obedient to him, even when it feels like he's not keeping up his end of the bargain. Another characteristic of Simeon's waiting was that he waited devoutly. That just means he kept going. He was committed. He did not give up. He kept trusting God and he kept doing the right things over and over again, even when it didn't quite make sense because he trusted God's timing. I think often we don't like God's timing for things in our lives. We feel like we've been waiting forever and I feel like we look at our watches like, all right, God, hurry it up. I'm sick of waiting. I don't like your timing. Let's hurry this up. But God's just saying, can you just trust me a little bit longer? Just a little bit? Because that's when our faith grows. See, all of following Jesus' trust and faith in him so sometimes God has to keep us in an extended period of the desert or period of waiting because he needs us to grow a little bit of faith. And he needs to see how far can I push you and you still trust me. We are to wait like Simeon. We need to be righteous and we need to be devoted. While we're in these seasons of waiting, though, sometimes it can feel like we're being hung out to dry by God. Has anyone ever felt like that God's failed you or that he's not delivering quickly enough? Because I have. See, as a Kai Alpha pastor, I'm a missionary, which means that in order to get paid, my salary comes from raising money from family, friends, and churches. We don't take up an offering here on Tuesday nights, as you've seen, and obviously all this stuff and Taylor and I's food has to come from somewhere. So that requires me asking people for money. When I first started doing this as a Kai Alpha intern, there were some ups and some downs. Some months we'd bring in plenty of money and it'd be awesome. We'd get to go to Texas Roadhouse. In other months, we'd have bad months. So we didn't know how we we're going to make it work. I'd question God, say, God, why have you not provided for me like you promised? God, you called me. Why are you not equipping me financially? God, why didn't you fully fund me quicker than you're doing right now? And this questioning led me to worry. I would check all my accounts. I'd do the math and budgets way more times than necessary. Budgeting's good. Not sleeping because of budgeting's not good. I'd get angry with Taylor, with God, anyone around me because I was so worried about our finances. That was deeply sinful. I didn't trust God. I gave in to anger. I was not being righteous all because I didn't trust God's timing or wait well. I waited expectantly. I expected God to move and fully fund me, but I didn't ex expect God to move in his timing. I wanted to be done in mine. See, a key component of waiting expectantly is trusting God, but also trusting him that his timing is better than ours. Sometimes we're given a promise. We're told things are going to get better. God will come through. Your finances will work out. You'll meet your spouse. You'll graduate soon enough. Your mental health will get better, but we don't see any fruit. The promises don't seem to be coming true, at least anytime soon. We're in the middle of the storm, so we can't see a way out. And then while we're in a season of waiting, we get sick of waiting. We don't see the light at the end of the tunnel, so we just try to force things. Maybe you feel like you're never going to get through school. So you try to take 25 credits a semester so you can get out of here as quick as possible. Graduate three years early so you can get on with the real life. And because of this, you don't really make a huge impact on campus because you rush your way through it. You don't enjoy college or stop and smell the roses because you're so focused on just getting this over with. That was my story. I wanted to be done with college, so I rushed through it, and I was not effective in my time in college, nor did I enjoy it very much. Or maybe you've been waiting for someone that you love to come to know Jesus, a parent, friend, family member, and you're seeing no fruit. 
nothing is working, it seems hopeless. That person that you deeply want to know Jesus just is not coming to them. You're praying and you're trying, but it's been too long and you start to give up hope. And we end this season of waiting by just removing ourselves from the situation. We stop praying because we don't see any hope. So it's not like we rush to get to the finish line, we just step out of the race because we think, I'm done. I think this happens more often than we could think. I think it happens with relationships with other people. Like there's tension or our relationships are awkward with each other. We just can't seem to get along. So instead of pushing through or fighting for the relationship, we just give up and we just step out. Too often in life when things get hard, instead of just sprinting to the finish line, we step off the track. We say, I'm done trying. What's the point? And that's not trusting God's timing or trusting that God is good. Possibly this is true with you being missional. Maybe you try talking to someone about Jesus one time and it goes terribly wrong. Like they slap you in the face or they punch you or they don't immediately come to small group. They don't start following Jesus. So we just give up trying. We don't have the grit to keep going. We aren't devout like Simeon. Or possibly you've been waiting for a future spouse and you cannot seem to find one. So you try to make a different situation work. So you know that the, this person that you're talking to or dating is not the best option. So they don't love Jesus. We don't click super well. Maybe there's a lot of baggage or history that might not be great. So it's not the best, but at least they're willing. We said, God, I'm sick of waiting for your best, so I'll settle for what I can have right now. Like any good meal, the best things in life are worth waiting for. That's why McDonald's takes three minutes and a good steak dinner takes some time. The best things in life usually take some time. We can rush things into our timing and try to circumvent what God wants to do and speed up the process but usually, this means we miss out on what God has for us in his timing. To the spouse issue, maybe you rush something with someone else, and if you just would have waited one week, God would have had your perfect partner ready for you. But you rush because you feel like this is the person I have to be with because it's the only one in front of me. So we just rush through, and then we miss out on God's best. It's not like your situation's ruined if you do that, if you rush through something. It's not like you're done for. But it just means that God has to kind of rearrange things. You're not getting the best option God has for you. But because Simeon trusted God in his timing and he waited expectantly and he lived with righteousness and devotion, Simeon got to meet the Messiah. Because he waited well, he got to meet the Savior of the universe. God's promise came true. Maybe if Simeon didn't wait well, maybe if he went out and tried to find the Messiah on his own and tried to rush the process, maybe he wouldn't have been in the temple when Jesus came there. Because he was trying to rush his own process, he would have missed out on God's timing and God's perfect gift. If we don't want to miss out on the promises of God, we must wait expectantly. In verse 25, it says Simeon was waiting for the consolation. The Greek word for our English word waiting is this word, I'm probably pronounce it wrong, prosek, pros dekomai. That's the Greek word. I don't speak Greek. Anyways, this word translated directly to English is not just waiting. It actually is waiting expectantly. So how do we practically do this? We trust God. We trust God enough to live a righteous and devoted life, and we trust Him for His promises because we know it'll be worth the wait. Let's continue. Luke 2, 36 through 38 says this, And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of Him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Anna was old. Depending on the way this is read, she's either 84 or like 100 and something. And she'd been in the temple waiting for a long time, waiting for Jesus. 
Talk about something that requires some trust, waiting in the temple for 84 years for a baby. I can't wait 30 seconds for my microwave to be beep. Anyways, that's why my food's cold. Let's keep going. Something that I think that is crucial about Anna's story is what did she do while she waited? While the elderly woman, 80 years old, was waiting, she did something. Meaning, she didn't use this time of waiting as an excuse to sit on her rear and not get anything done. I think many of us in our seasons of waiting, we're going to choose to kind of just chill. I'm just going to wait out the storm until things get better. But Anna shows that this is not the way. For all of you, college can be a season of waiting. Waiting to get to the next step to the real world. And you have two choices for your time in college. You can wish your time in college away, dreading every minute, wishing that it was over, hunkering down and just doing what you have to do to get by. Or you can make an impact. You can leave this campus better than you found it. See, there are 10,000 students on this campus that need to meet the Messiah. They need to meet King Jesus. There are 10,000 students that feel hopeless and desperately want a purpose. And they just need someone to show them how to find hope. They need someone to find, feed, and fight for them. And that someone might just be you. Maybe this looks like instead of just checking out these, past, these last two weeks of the semester, you actually talk to that classmate that you've been wanting to talk to about Jesus. You actually do it. Because you're probably never going to have class with them again. So we don't waste that opportunity. And just because we want to get through these two weeks... In two weeks, you might not see that person ever again. And you might be the key to them coming to know Jesus and finding hope. So you invite them to service or small group, even though the semester's almost over. Or possibly, this looks like a little bit of a bigger commitment. Maybe when you look at your college career in general, you just kind of want to wait it out. However, maybe God is calling you to something. Maybe he's calling you to use this season of waiting as a time for you to commit to finding, feeding, and fighting for people. So maybe next semester when we start our leadership training class for next year's small group leaders, maybe God is going to call you to do it. Maybe God's going to call you to pursue becoming a small group leader and using this waiting season of college as an opportunity to change this campus and make an impact through discipling other students. Maybe God's calling you to that in this season of waiting. I can almost guarantee he's calling you to disciple people in this season of waiting. Maybe God wants to do more through you than you could ever imagine. Maybe you don't view yourself as equipped, like you'll never be good enough. God wants to take that lie and shove it out the back door and say, no, you're equipped, let's roll. God wants to use you to reach the 10,000 students of this campus. He wants to use you to find, feed, and fight for the lost lambs of God. Now that's doing something in a season of waiting. Anna would be proud. March through August of 2020 was a season of waiting for all of us waiting to get out of lockdown and to see people again. For Taylor and I specifically, right before COVID hit, we found out that we were to become the directors of Chi Alpha. We were so excited. We are also really nervous. And then to make this waiting period worse, we had to be in lockdown alone with all of our thoughts and fears and how we were going to screw it all up. Just us staring at each other like, well, you screwed up this year or me. And we just look and cry. I'm just kidding. We didn't cry. That would be bad. Probably cried sometimes. Anyways, COVID is fun. And as I looked into doing something, as in leading Chi Alpha, that was above my experience and above my ability, if I'm honest with you, I had two options. I could just chill and worry about it, or I could prepare. I'm so thankful to God that in the season of COVID, Taylor and I spent extravagant time with Jesus, preparing ourselves for the upcoming season. We both prayed and read scripture and spent a lot of time just at the feet of Jesus. Can I be real with you guys for one second? Let you on a little secret. Sometimes, I don't know what I'm doing. 
Sometimes I'm extremely under-equipped to lead Chi Alpha. I was 23 when I took over, and I think I'm still the youngest director in the country. Meaning, sometimes if I'm honest, I'm a little bit in over my head. That can be terrifying, especially when my predecessor is my older brother, who's like a machine and just never stops thinking. I'm like, how am I going to be like him? I just want to chill. <laughs> However, when faced with this reality, we chose to spend time of our season of waiting, relying on the Lord and spending a lot of time with him, and I'm so thankful we did. See, we expected that God was going to do big things in the fall of 2020. We expected that God would do huge things through Chi Alpha. We expected God to change lives and when we tried to meet or match that expectation level with our preparation level, and we had high expectations, so we're going to have high preparation. And waiting expectantly prepared us to lead the best year of Chi Alpha that we ever had up until this year, which has been better, but that's besides the point. In the past two years, we've seen incredible growth. Our Chi Alpha has grown more than ever in the past. Our Chi Alpha has grown than most Chi Alphas around the country. Many of you have seen your lives change through these last two years. And I cannot imagine what would happen if in our season of, of waiting, we did not wait with expectation, but instead we waited like bumps in a log sitting on our couch, not preparing for what God wanted to do through us. On our own, we can't and could not lead Chi Alpha. We needed Jesus. We needed a season of waiting and preparation. So what did Anna do in her season of waiting? She used this time to worship, pray, fast, and seek after God. I'm going to go out on a limb and say there are some times as Anna remained at the temple for many years, that she didn't really feel like seeking God. She's like, all right, God, I've been fasting and praying every day for 40 years now. I'm a little over it. She probably got a little bit impatient with God from time to time. However, she did not let her season of waiting keep her from living a life of real devotion. And we are called to do the same. While we're in seasons of waiting, we have a beautiful opportunity to be with God. Maybe you're in a season of obscurity right now, like you're not waiting for some big thing, you're just kind of chilling, going through the motions. Use this time as an opportunity to pray and fast and be with God because maybe God actually is preparing you for something huge in the future. Or maybe life is crazy right now. And instead of waiting for just something, you're waiting for it all to calm down. Amidst the craziness, we can also cannot lose our connection to Jesus. We must still abide and have real devotion. We must wait in prayer, fasting, even amidst the craziness. In our seasons of waiting, we are to look to Anna and say devoted to God, continue abiding in his presence even when we don't feel like it. Even when we feel spiritually dry, as we just want this semester to be over. God, I just want to get home and see my dog for crying out loud. I just punched that. That was angry. <laughs> like we said, though, there probably were times in Anna's 84 years of waiting that she didn't want to have real devotion. Did that stop her? According to our text, no. She never departed the temple, and she prayed and fasted night and day. And that took some discipline. She was disciplined to stay connected to God. And as she was disciplined this turned into desire. Meaning, I bet there were times where she actually enjoyed spending time with God. And she had a desire to do it. She woke up excited to pray. And this desire turned into delight, where she found her joy and fulfillment through her time with God. It was the delight of her life. So her discipline turned into desire, which turned into delight. That's awesome, right? So if you're in a season where spending time with Jesus right now feels like a discipline, there's hope. It'll get better. You just have to do it a little bit longer. Sometimes our seasons of discipline are a little bit longer than we want, but we should trust God's timing, right? Amen. But I bet there came a time after her season of delight when she was really enjoying time with God, maybe it was like year 34, that she got bored again. Did she let this stop her? No. She connected the circle and went back from delight to discipline. We are called to do the same. We must be disciplined to spend time with the Lord in our seasons of waiting. 
See, a big season of waiting is upon us. It's called winter break. Although you're probably looking forward to winter break and you're going to rest and relax, which is incredible, in all actuality, winter break is just one long season of waiting for the next semester. What are you going to do in this season? You know, lay around all day? Or will you be disciplined to stay connected to God even when you don't feel like it? To spend intentional time abiding with Jesus daily and living a life of real devotion, reading the Bible, praying, worshiping, sitting in silence and solitude, all those things. If you want to have a fruitful break where you wait expectantly for the next semester because God's going to do something powerful next semester, if you want to be prepared, you must live a life of real devotion over break. How is your relationship with Jesus going to look when your community is not around you, when you don't have small group to come back to, when you don't have large group to come to every week? What's it going to look like? I can answer the question if you tell me how, what your real devotion is going to look like. If you spend time with Jesus, I guarantee you'll have a good break. If you don't spend time with Jesus, I guarantee you're probably going to have a bad break. In verse 38, it says, waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. We again meet that Greek word, prostechamai, or waiting in expectation. So how do you wait in expectation? The worst team wants to come up. You wait righteously and devotedly. God wants you to trust Him enough to keep living for Him and to be committed to His cause. You can wait expectantly, expecting God to do something by not giving up, by leaning in and staying committed to the promises God has given you. He also wants you to do something while you're in seasons of waiting, to make an impact in the season of waiting, to spend extravagant time with Him, to commit to spending your time in college, not just getting a degree, but changing the world through changing freshmen, sophomores, juniors, and seniors for the kingdom of God. He wants you to spend your seasons of waiting and treat them as a season of preparation for God to do something big through you. See, we must expect God to move and wait in a way that shows we are expecting Him to move in His timing. Again, we can't try to circumvent or speed it up, but we wait with patience and expectation because we trust God. We are all like Simeon and Anna. We are all in a season of waiting. Ultimately, all of us are waiting for the same thing. Actually, we're all waiting for the exact same thing they were waiting for. We are all waiting for the return of our Messiah. We're waiting for Jesus to come back. See, someday, this Jesus, the Bible that we've been talking about all semester, someday he's going to come back. He died on the cross, he rose again, and he promised that I'm coming back. He's going to set everything right. Every issue with this world, everything that's bad about the world, human trafficking, child pedophilia, war, violence, all these things are going to be set right one day. That's the hope of the gospel or the good news of Jesus. See, when Jesus came to earth, he died on the cross to make a way for us to be connected to God. When Jesus died on the cross and rose again, what he actually did is he ushered in the kingdom of God. However, it's kind of a weird theological or biblical thing, but as he ushered in the kingdom of God on earth, it wasn't like the full expectation or the full realization of it because there's still issues with the world, right? Like things aren't perfect yet. However, he did start the kingdom of God and we are to live in that. See, Jesus doesn't just care about your, your destiny and your eternity, right? God wants you to go and spend eternity with him. That's part of it. But Jesus wants to impact your world right now. Because eternal life is not just after death. Eternal life starts now because you're living right now, right? So I think sometimes we think that I'll live for God later or when I die, it'll be okay. No, God wants you to have heaven on earth right now. 
God wants heaven on earth right now. And the only way we can do this is we wait for the ultimate return of God with expectation that he wants to do something right now. When Jesus comes back and when you meet Jesus, whether that's at the end of your life or the end times, when Jesus looks you in the eye and he says, my son or my daughter, what did you do with the life I gave you? When that happens, I know I don't want to say I wasted it away. I know I don't want to say, you know what, Jesus, to be honest, I didn't really expect much to come from my life, so I didn't wait with expectation. I didn't really think too highly of myself and I didn't think I could do anything. I thought the world around me was too dark. I thought my issues were too big. So I just kind of laid it up. I don't want that to be your story or my story when we come to the end of our time. When Jesus comes back, when Jesus looks you in the eye at the precipice of eternity, I want you to be able to say, Jesus, I gave it my best shot. Jesus, I expected you to move. And I lived like I was expecting you to move. That's my prayer for you. That's my prayer for Kyle. And this starts right now. This starts with you giving your life to Jesus. Maybe you're here and you've never followed Jesus before. You've never had any expectation of God. And God wants to change that tonight because God sent his son to die on a cross for you. For every mistake you've made, he wants to make it right. So this starts with you giving your life to Jesus. It also starts with living your life for Jesus. With not waiting until you're married or have kids or graduate to start taking your faith seriously. So often I hear, when I'm older and have kids, I'll take them to church. Who knows you're going to make it that long? Jesus doesn't just want your adult years. He wants every year. Plus, living for Jesus, not only is it the godly thing to do, it's the most fulfilling thing to do. The college experience is not all it's cracked up to be. I don't know anyone who has the college experience and afterwards like, yay, I'm glad I got drunk every Friday night during my college career. That was so much fun and I changed no one's lives. But what I know is when I graduated college and I had a list of five guys that I discipled, that means something. My diploma has seen five men come to know Jesus and are still following Jesus today. That matters to me because I impacted someone else's life. God used me, a small, sinful me, to change other people's lives. And God wants to do the same thing through you. He doesn't want when you get done with college to just say, you did what was best for you. He wants to say, you did what was best for the kingdom of God on this campus. So we must be like Simeon. We must commit to living for Jesus, not just living for ourselves or for the college experience. As you do this, Jesus will put you on mission to reach those around you. Jesus doesn't want you just to grit your teeth and bear your way through college. He wants you to wait with expectation and live a life of real devotion, real community, and real responsibility as he uses you to usher in the kingdom of God at you and I as it is in heaven.